But today, we're going we're gonna to be in week five of our series, and I wonder if, uh, if you guys have ever asked yourself the question, why do I go to church? Have you guys ever thought about that question for yourself? Why, why have I decided to be a part of the community like the one that I'm a part of today? What is the thing that compels me to like organize my schedule, make sure that I come back early from vacation so that I'm a part of this local community of people who are somehow diverse but also connected to one another? And for some of us, the answer to that question is probably very different than the person sitting next to you. For some of you, this has always been a part of the rhythm of your life. Like your family grew up going to church, and so you were always in church, and it almost seems wrong to be not in church on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. And so it's just part of your habit, so you keep showing up. For others of you, others of you, you may feel like you are dragged here by a spouse. Okay, don't look at, don't, no elbowing anyone, no looking side to side, but some of you may feel like you are forced to be here, but that's why you're here. For others of you, maybe you just found community here. Maybe some of you like the music. No one ever talks about the preaching. Everybody talks about the music. I like Mark's music. But there's probably a bunch of different answers. God bless you. I know who that was. Uh, but, but the question is, why do we participate in a community like this? And so this morning, that's what we're going to talk a little bit about. And so to do that, we're going to be in the New Testament. And the New Testament is the second part of the Bible that talks about the life of Jesus, which, is, which has these four mini biographies of his life that we also refer to as the gospel accounts. But the other part of the New Testament talks about the development and the development of the early church. And so you have these four mini biographies of Jesus' life attached to the last one that was written by a guy named Luke was actually another book called the book of Acts. And the reason why it's called the book of Acts is because it was a record of the activity of the early church or the activity of the early disciples. And so it's called the book of Acts. And so today we're going to read from Acts chapter 2. We'll pick up in verse 1. It says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Verse 7, they were completely amazed. How can, they, how can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. And so we're being introduced to this moment. We have uh, all these uh, believers that were gathered together. There was a Jewish festival. And so there was people from all over the region of Galilee that came to Jerusalem to celebrate this Jewish feast. And, and if you remember, Acts is like right after Jesus' life. And so this was not long after Jesus had been crucified. He had been risen. He'd risen from the dead. And then he had presented himself to several hundred of his followers. And part of Jesus' conversation with some of the, pe- the early leaders after he had risen from the dead was he, he was kind of giving them a game plan for what to do next. And one of the things that he told them is he said, do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the Holy Spirit before you engage in ministry. And so you had all these believers, it says, that were meeting together in one place at, their, at this Jewish festival. And then all of a the sudden, there was like this divine moment that happened in the midst of their gathering. And one of the ways that we know that this was like really a divine moment 
is because Luke struggles to articulate what actually happened in that room that day. Notice that Luke doesn't say this is what happened. He says it was kind of like this. He says there was a sound so pervasive that it was like the roaring of thunder. He didn't say it was roaring thunder. He said it was like the, the roar of thunder. And then he says it was almost like there were these tongues of fire that appeared. He didn't say there were actual tongues of fire. He said it was like it. And so Luke is doing the best that he can to describe and articulate this moment by likening it to something else that they would have shared uh, in another shared experience. But what's also interesting is that the only thing that is like this tangible experience for the people who were in the room that day is that somehow, miraculously, they were able to understand a language that they did not know. Now, I have been on Duolingo for several years now, and there are just handfuls of time where people say something to me in Spanish and I can actually make out what it says. But I kind of, it kind of feels like that's what it would have felt like. When they say it, I'm like, I don't know what they're saying. But then all of a sudden I start, whoa, actually, that's, they just said hello. <laughs> Hola. Not hard. But somehow there was this miraculous moment and they could understand this languages that, they, that were foreign to them. And then Luke tells us that this was all attributed to the fact that this was the coming of the Holy Spirit. It tells us they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is the significance of Acts chapter 2, is that this was the moment in the church where the Holy Spirit filled the church and the church started. And so we asked the question, well, what is the church? The church is not a building. It is a group of people who have surrendered their life to Jesus. It is a group of people who committed to following the way of Jesus. And it was the moment that the church was unleashed to fulfill God's mission. This was always part of the plan. Look at what it says in Luke 24, verse 49. It says, And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes. And listen to this. He says, Wait here until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with the power from heaven. He tells them, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. The word spirit in Hebrew is the word ruach, uh, and it can be translated as breath, wind, or spirit, and it refers to God. Whenever it's, it's used in this context, it refers to God's invisible power. About a month ago, if you guys were here for worship night, it was, it was a crazy night. Uh, I mean, that, the wind was blowing harder than I have ever felt it blow in the Bay Area. I had an umbrella that broke in the wind. Okay, we had electrical, we had electrical issues the whole night. The power kept going in and out. We had about a thousand uh, roof tiles that were scattered all over the property. People were getting blown away. It was a wild night. Now, you cannot see the wind, but you can feel its power. You can't see the wind, but you can feel its power. The Holy Spirit is God's invisible power that becomes part of the spiritual anatomy of anyone who has become a follower of Jesus. God has given us access to that power. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That was the mission that God had just given the church. He's saying, you are going to be my witnesses wherever you go to the furthest parts of this earth. And so you ask yourselves, why did God tell the disciples to wait? 
He told them to wait because he knew that what he was asking them to do was an impossible task if they were trying to do it on their own. So he said, you got to wait for my power. And I think that sometimes if you are a follower of Jesus and you've been in the game of faith for any amount of time, there are probably sometimes in your life, and I know this happens with me, when you're just looking at the news and you're scrolling through social media and you're hearing stories happening in the world and you ask yourself, you almost feel like you are powerless to push back against some of the darkness in our world. But that could not be further from the truth. The Bible tells us that we are an empowered church. We are an empowered people. And it is not the power that comes from our own lives, but it is Holy Spirit, divine heaven power that we have access to. The Bible tells us that we are an empowered community and that Jesus didn't leave us. One time, uh, actually not one time, but many times uh, when I was coming up in college, I, I wrestled in college, and in my first few years, I didn't start, so I didn't get to travel with the team. And it was always interesting how different the dynamic was in practice when the starters were gone. And, uh, and sometimes we would have coaches that were not like our main coaches, but they would come in and run practice. Uh, but I always remember how, how much I loved when a guy named Coach Pope came to practice. He grew up in the country. He was a farm boy. But the way that he would always start practice is that he would tell us like some kind of inspirational story. And he would get us all fired up and we would be like ready to like tear each other's heads off. And practice was always fun when Coach Pope came. Whenever the regular coach left and Coach Pope came, he'd always inspired us. That's what happened with Jesus. Jesus left, but he didn't leave us alone. He gave us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to empower us to fulfill God's mission in the world. He unleashed the church into the world with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then this is what happens next. Verse 14. It says, Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles, and he shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk. Some people were accusing them of being drunk. As some of you are assuming, 9 o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Verse 17, it says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter is saying that this was always part of the plan. That one, God would pour out his spirit to empower his people to carry out his mission in the world. This was always part of God's strategy. It was a partnership with humanity. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living created thing, that every living creature that moves on the earth. What this tells us is that God did not need us, but he wanted us. God has, an, has always envisioned 
partnering with humanity to fulfill his vision in this world. We just recently started up our Alpha Group, which is part of our group system, and we're coming up on week three this next week. But I love the first week of Alpha because it's really, really simple. We like watch a video, but at the end of the video, there's only one question. And the question is, if God were real and you had a chance to ask him anything, what would you ask him? And it's so powerful because you just get a sense of where people are coming at in terms of their relationship with God as they ask these questions. But this is one of the questions I would ask God. God, why humanity? Why would you choose to partner with such a broken group of people, a group of people who time and time again have let you down? Why why would you entrust us? Why would you give us the privilege of participating in your story here on earth? And I'm not sure that the Bible completely answers the question, but it does show us God's pattern. Every time when God is given the opportunity to do it himself, he chooses to work through humanity in this world. God chooses to partner with us to carry out his vision in this world. Noah built the ark. He chose Abraham to start a nation. He used Deborah's life to lead Israel to victory. He called Ezra, Esther to be queen, to save a nation. He used Moses to lead people through the Red Sea. Every single time, God chooses people to fulfill his mission on this earth. And I love that. Because God has always invited us into what he's doing. Has anyone ever been left out at a party? Am I the only one? I remember this one time. It was the worst experience. Come on. Praise the Lord. I'm not alone in here. I remember this one time I was in Pop Warner football. And they do like these parties at the end of the year. And, uh, and someone thought that it would be great to gather all the kids together so that it wouldn't be hard for them to privately hand out invitations to a select few of those kids. And so they just started calling out the names of kids who were invited to the party and I was at the top of the list, I imagined. Uh, was cooler than my friend Sean, so I imagined, felt bad for him, wasn't getting invited to the party, but that's life. And one by then, they just called the name Bobby, Timmy, Jimmy, Bill, Zach. And I saw that the list of envelopes was getting thinner and thinner. And then they got to the last name, and they didn't call my name. And it was a sad day in the Tondo household. Didn't want to talk to anybody. Went home, went to my room. But it doesn't feel good to be left out, does it? The beauty about the God that we serve is that there has not been one moment he has wanted to leave you out of his story. There's never been one moment God thought we're going to do this without humanity. He has always invited us into the process. And all of us know that there is a difference from being an observer and being a participant, right? It's different to watch a game than to play in the game. It's different to watch a performance than to actually be performing. It is different to read a book than it is to write a book. And I'm not saying this. I do this myself. But when the Niners win, I say, we won. We didn't win. I didn't play. They played. They won. I watched, okay? And I'm a fan, but they won. God never intended for his people to be standing on the sidelines of the story or the mission that he's accomplishing in this world. And if we're being honest with ourselves, 
we're being honest, that may be how some of us feel in life. We are just observers of what is happening in, in the spiritual realm. We come to church, maybe from time to time we start reading our Bibles and we try to understand Scripture, and, and maybe some of us have signed up for groups to learn more about the Bible, and, and at some point after Bible study, we keep forming ideas about what we think about some of the important conversations that, that we've been having, but for some of us, that's as far as it goes. That's the extent of our religious commitment in life, is that it is an intellectual exercise, and we just keep watching and observing what is happening, and all of this is good. But if that's as far as it goes when it comes to our relationship with God, that was never meant to be the plan. That was never the plan. God never intended for us to become participants. There was a rule in our old room, wrestling room, is that after you graduated, you could never just go to the room to watch practice. If you showed up, you had to bring your wrestling shoes and you had to practice. They didn't let people just observe. And so when I came up, there were 40-year-old, 50-year-old guys uh, that were in there wrestling with some college kids. There was an expectation that to be a part of the experience, you had to participate in the experience. And that's true when it comes to faith. Look what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see the, nature, the structure of that statement. God did this so that we can do this. He renewed your heart. He redeemed your life. He restored the broken things in you. Not so that you could sit in this comfortable little environment your whole life, but that we would go and do for others what someone did for us that we would participate in the story of God in someone else's life. And for some of us, there's a disconnect. For some of us, we have heard stories about how God has done like miraculous things in, in people's life and all throughout human history. And we learn about these miracles that were performed all throughout the New Testament. And we think how cool it was for them, but we never expect to experience that type of thing in our own lives. And so the question is not whether we believe that God wants to do something in our generation. The question is, do we believe that he is willing to use us to do it? There was one time Jesus was speaking to a group of people, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, it says he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Jesus is saying that the mission is so vast and wide and large the opportunity is endless. There just aren't enough people willing to participate in what God is willing to do in this world. I love church history. I love getting inspired by people who demonstrated great faith and like watching God show up in 
really miraculous ways. One of my favorite people in church history was a guy by the name of D.L. Moody. He was like the Billy Graham. If you know about Billy Graham, he was like the Billy Graham before Billy Graham. He was like an evangelist, uh, a U.S. evangelist coming out of Chicago. He was around in like the 1850s, and he just had a heart for people to connect with God. And so he gave his life to it, gave his life to it. One time he was at a conference, and he was listening to the speaker, and the speaker asked the question, can you imagine what God would be willing to do with a life who completely gave their life for him? And D.L. Moody said, by God's grace, I'm determined to be that person, that God would use my life to help usher in the kingdom. And for 50 years, that was his ministry. He traveled all over the world, and he led millions of people to faith. This was before, like, technological sound amplification where you had to have like strong vocal cords and oratory skills and he just preached all over the world helping people make decisions to surrender their lives to Jesus and I think about some of the radical reformers back in the day like George Blaurock and Balthasar Hubmeyer these guys were radical followers of Jesus and there was a whole culture that was standing against following God the way Scripture had directed, and they gave their lives to make a shift in their own culture. And it is so powerful to read about how God has done so many amazing things all throughout church history. But do you know what is more powerful? Is getting to witness it firsthand. I love, I love talking about this property because about 70 years ago, there was a group of believers who had moved to Silicon Valley, which it wasn't Silicon Valley at the time, just a bunch, a bunch of orchards everywhere. But God gave them a vision. They said, what if God could use our resources and our faithfulness in this generation to set a foundation for what God may do for generations to come? And they worked and they sacrificed and they gave resources and they showed up to this property on the weekends and after work, and they built the first buildings on this property. They had a vision for what God could do with their life. And today we're the recipients of that blessing. But I love watching God show up in our own generation. I love how over the last seven years, God has answered so many prayers of this church. I love that there have been so many people who have walked through the doors of this church and experienced genuine, authentic life transformation, not because the music was great or the preaching was great or the people were nice or the building was comfortable, but because God touched their life at the deepest level. And we've seen that year after year. One person after another putting their hand to the plow saying, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing in this community in our small little corner of this city. Last week, we had a bunch of guys who stayed after service and they got up on some dangerous ladders and they used some drills and they hung some paneling so that the sound would, quality in this room would be a little bit better. And last week, there were a bunch of people who served in our kids' ministry who were telling the next generation about how much God loves them and how valuable their lives are. And we had people showing up early at church this morning to get the baptism tank 
ready. And there are people who are still here today who for the last seven years of this church have been serving week in and week out part of the mission, living out the mission of God in our city so that we can do what God called us to do, to be witnesses in our world, to be a light in the darkness. And as much as I love reading about what God has done in the past, it is so much more exciting to see firsthand what God is doing in our generation. And this is part of what it looks like to participate with the movement of God in this world. It's to do that in your local church. But it's also to be a good neighbor. It's also to model forgiveness and reconciliation in your workplace. It's also to be a part of tearing down spiritual strongholds in our city. That is what God has called you to do. You are not a weak church, you are an empowered church. You have access to the power of heaven that God has given you. And sometimes when we're part of a community like this, we may have the thought that God couldn't use me. They're like, Daniel, you have no idea who I am. You have no idea what I have been through in my life. You have no idea the thoughts that I think and the things that I've done and the person that I have become. You have no idea who I am. How could you say that God could use me? And the answer is, is that you're right. I don't know what you've done. And I don't know the thoughts that you've thought. And I don't know the habits that you've had over the course of your life or the things that you do in secret or the addictions that have defined your life up until this point. But I do know what God has done. And the grace that God has extended to this world far outweighs any little minuscule thing that you think you could do to stop God's love from overpowering your life. But the only thing that keeps you from letting God use you is doing this. It is closing off your heart to God. That is the only thing that you can do to stop God from connecting you. It is blocking him from entering in. And there are so many of us that come into a space like this and you sense God prompting your heart to make a decision. But on the other side of that prompting, there's something pulling back. There's something pushing back in your life from what God is trying to do. And so this morning, we want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to just release it. You're hanging on like this. And you've been hanging on for a long time with your, 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 your fists clenched tight. All that we have to do is we let go. And it don't seem that easy because sometimes it can feel more complicated, but we can just let go. We can let go of the anxiety and say, God, I'm going to trust you with the things that I know I can't control. We can let go of the bitterness. We can even, even, we can even let go of the hurt that people have caused us. And it ain't easy, but that's why we bring it to God, because we need his divine power 
to give us the strength to do what only he can do in us. And so this morning, I want to I wanna give us the chance to step into that moment. And I just want to lead us in a simple prayer this morning. And this prayer is just a prayer of asking God to take over. And maybe we're in a season of life where, where we've taken the wheel back from God. And we're ready for God to come back and take control of what's the direction of our life this morning. And so I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and to close their eyes. And this morning, if you need a fresh start, I want you to pray this prayer after me in your hearts. Dear God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy and for your grace. God, thank you for loving me with an unconditional love. Thank you for showing me all throughout Scripture, God, your faithfulness to me. God, today I need a fresh start. Today I need a new beginning, Lord. You know that I've been caught up in some things that have no part of being in my life. And I'm ready to see you work in a fresh way. And this morning, I want to commit, recommit my life to you. I want to recommit my heart and my patterns of thinking to you again. God, I'm ready for a new day. I'm ready for a clean heart. I'm ready for a restored spirit. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.